Welcome to Advancing All Women with Sarah Alter, President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color, to developing and engaging male allies, to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19. Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Now, here's your host, Sarah Alter. D-E-I-B-A. So most of you have probably heard it referred to before as DEI. I've heard IDE. Um, I've heard IE, you know, IED. There, there are just a variety of variations and it depends on, you know, the organization's approach. But diversity, I think we all know what that is. Equity, clearly we should all know what that is. Um, inclusion, belonging, and then accessibility. So for you as a leader, you need to appreciate that it's DIBA from here on out. And and what we're going to talk about today um, with this incredible, incredible group of leaders that I'm being joined by is the I, and in particular, the B in DIBA. And to kind of frame the discussion, I I pulled up, I was forwarded this fabulous article, thank you, um, Leslie Olson, who had sent it to me from Fast Company. And it was an article that was written by Professor Michael Wynn at USC, University of Southern California. And Professor, be on the lookout, I'm going to have you come talk on our show in the future. But I loved how you framed this. And I think it'll do a great job setting up what you're going to learn from these three incredible leaders. But the premise of his article is that too many diversity programs or or initiatives are carried out in ways that deliver subpar results and even in many cases create more harm. And what he identifies are three core pitfalls that you need to avoid. And, And you'll see how it leads into our discussion of belonging? How do you create a culture of belonging? The first is um, you just, you focus on the D in DEI, and it's a common mistake and and it's a limited view, right? And and what it does is you see a leadership team focus just on what's outwardly visible or compositional diversity. So you're looking at the numeric and proportional representation of different groups within an organization. Um, so you're counting, right? And, and it's very much like a, a, you know, checking the box, if you will. Um, he shares another term in addition to DEIB, which is J-E-D-I. There's that acronym, which is an alternative acronym. And J refers to justice, which was a learning for me. But similarly, it's like when you just focus on the D, it creates an outward illusion of equity and inclusion. And he shares it's an iceberg effect, right? That 90% of that iceberg is underwater and it's not immediately visible. And that focusing on the D is just that proverbial tip of the iceberg. The second pitfall, performative DEI and self serving aims. And in, and in this case, it's that it can be as equally harmful as just focusing on the D 
because it's all based on performance and ROI. And it's, I've got diversity themed parties or social media campaigns, um, just these self-serving motives that are rooted in, I can create return. And if you think about it, a lot of people advocate, oh, well, you should build an incentives. You know, you should build in, you know, build it into your goals and then you'll be financially rewarded if you deliver on the D or you deliver on the E. And, and I love what he says here is that it's, it's, reaches an insidious level of harmfulness because it creates additional rewards and privileges for the already privileged while doing little of substance for the underprivileged. So essentially it's for their unleveling and already unlevel playing field. Third pitfall, lack of shared accountability. And what this means is that you're placing all of the burden of, of DEBA initiatives on the shoulders of a chief diversity officer. And what's even more interesting is he said it typically happens with Black women who are the most common demographic chosen to serve as a CDO, but sadly they're given insufficient resources and they end up burning out. Or you see the opposite where you hire a white heteronormative able-bodied male and it's tone deaf right and it 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 what you find then is these well-intended white allies can suffer from advantage blindness and so it limits their effectiveness so those are those three pitfalls so what do you do then well the reality is you got to focus on the d the e the i the b and the a and today what we're going to focus on is the b because that is probably the most pivotal but it's the most challenging. I'm Sarah Alter. I'm your host of the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast, and I am proudly the CEO and president of the Network of Executive Women. And I'm joined by an incredible lineup. We have Tamara Miles. Uh, Tamara is an author, speaker, researcher, positive psychology instructor at University of Pennsylvania. Amelia Dunlop, Chief Experience Officer for Deloitte Digital and U.S. Customer Strategy and Applied Design Leader and recent author as well. And Kelly Crowley, User Experience Researcher and heads up the Visa Accessibility Team. And she is also an athlete. So we're going to hear more about that. But what we're going to dive into today is how do you create a culture, a workplace culture of belonging. So, Tamara, hey, let's start with you. Why Why are you here today? And you are here for the second time, so thank you for coming back. <laughs> thank you for having me back. I'm so of delighted course. to be here. So, you know, belonging. I think we've all felt the experience of truly belonging and also, probably most of us have felt what it feels like when we don't belong, right? And so, for me, I think about why I'm here. I was thinking about a story of when I started graduate school, I went to the University of Pennsylvania to pursue a master's in applied positive psychology. And leading up, you know, we applied, it's like this really hard program to get in. And then we got in and, um, and then we received the bios of the 48 students that were going to be in our class. 
And, um, and it was like a stellar class. And I was reading those bios and I was so impressed. It was like a special agent with the FBI and the general counsel for Chanel and all these people. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I belong, right? I was like having like, well, I didn't, how did I slip into, <laughs> into this class? I was having a little imposter syndrome and I show up for immersion week and we all walk into this room and we don't know each other. And it's this nervous kind of excited energy. And we sit down to start class and, um, and uh, Marty Seligman, who's the founder of positive psychology and one of the professors in the program walks in and we are in awe of to be in his presence. And the first thing he says in his deep, deep voice is, you belong here. You belong here. And he affirmed and acknowledged that we were, you know, probably wondering whether or not we belonged, but affirmed that we did. And then throughout the program, everyone proceeded to show us again and again how we belonged. And this experience was transformative for me. And working with organizations in, you know, bringing uh, positive psychology out into organizations and all the research, I always remember this personal experience of not, I wasn't sure whether or not I belonged. I wasn't sure which side of me I should show. How would I impress all these people that were so impressive? And then just to know that, that I belonged, just hearing that from somebody who I admired so much, but then having them show me again and again how was so, so deeply meaningful that I always remember that. And I want to, I want all the organizations that I work with to to be like that to to make people feel like they they you know they belong we need them there so that's why i'm here thank you you belong <laughs> i know um amelia welcome how about you yeah thank you for having me and that's that's such a, such a beautiful story tomorrow i loved it um yeah i'm i am excited to be here um as you know uh we at Deloitte Digital, we set an aspiration about four years ago to elevate the human experience. Um, and at the time, we didn't really know what that meant, um, mm-hmm. but we knew it was sort of this lofty idea that was kind of worth uh, striving towards. And as chief experience officer over the past four years, we've just tried to make that mean something. And yeah. it's um, the idea that we don't show up as a customer, we don't show up as an employee, um, we show up as humans first. And how can we, in organizations and businesses, uh, be reminded of that fact, where we can make every interaction just a little bit better? And um, so four weeks ago, I published a book called Elevating the Human Mm. Experience, uh, Three Paths to Love and Worth at Work. And I chose the word love very deliberately, uh, recognizing it's just a little bit provocative, (laughs) but I wanted to have the conversation about what it meant to feel loved and to feel worthy when we show up at work, because we spend more time now working than any other culture, any other time in history. And people would think we are crazy that we, um, we spend so much of our lives working. And so for me, the definition of love is... You know, it builds on uh, Eric Fromm from the 1950s. Um, it's you know very related to the Greek word for eudaimonia, but it's the, the it's the choice we make to extend ourselves for our own or for another's growth. And so I think there's some aspect around this conversation or around belonging where I think we need to talk about love, and I think we need to talk about worth. So that's why I'm here. And just so the listeners know, um, Amelia has the most beautiful sweater on and it has hearts on it. 
and the spirit of our conversation. Love it. Thank um, you. Kelly, welcome. Thanks what brings you here? Yes. Well, um, I also, I want to um, just say my role at Visa is actually, I'm not the head of accessibility. Um, our accessibility practice is 15 years old and I'm, I am the lead evangelist. So I spend all day talking about uh, with folks about accessibility and why it's important. And a lot of that comes out of my experience, my life experience of, of fighting for belonging and um, feeling like an outsider. Um, I, I was born with, I call it my funny little arm. I have um, my elbow is like fused and I have three fingers on my right hand and I've always been an athlete. So on the one hand, I've always felt like I belonged in athletic settings. Um, and while also never really feeling 100% secure in my belonging there. And it wasn't until I discovered the Paralympics and became a mm-hmm. professional athlete through that vein that I actually felt that safety and security and confidence that comes from being in an environment where, where you do belong. Um, and that's even saying, you know, and I, I came up through the Paralympic my Paralympic career overlapped with sort of the um, the the global movement, um, where Paralympics has has just grown exponentially over the course of my career. So many things have changed since I first came on the scene in two thousand and one, and so you know, so so much of um, you know my contributions to accessibility come from you know being part of the disability community um, and experiencing the world through my teammates' experiences, um, you know, traveling internationally with all, <laughs> all of these folks um, and discovering, you know, where we encounter obstacles. And, and the psychology, uh, like personally struggling with yeah. some of the psychology of, of those experiences. Um, you know, so I've definitely been in environments where I feel like I belong and where I definitely feel like an outsider. And um, I've learned a lot and my, my professional, I, I never also imagined that I would, I have a background in public policy. I imagined that I would work for a nonprofit mm-hmm. or in the public sector. And I never imagined that I would feel at home in corporate America. And it wasn't until Visa and their um, yeah. Olympian Paralympian uh, program that they've launched to help athletes kickstart their second careers that I'm like, oh, I actually do belong here and I do have a role and my contribution is valid. Um, so lots of lots of intersections of my personal story and the topic of yeah. belonging. And and swimming and cycling, correct? You've tried two sports. <laughs> yes, that's right. I I was uh, I, yeah. I actually professionally raced my my bike. I was a professional cyclist. So, um, but I also would sort of say that I was a professional swimmer because that was you know how I spent thirty five hours a week <laughs> was underwater uh, training for the Paralympics. So, um, you know, it was a full time job by the end. Try. Uh, so Iron Man in your future, yeah? No, I'm a terrible <laughs> runner unless there's a basketball involved, and then I'm okay. <laughs> I love, <laughs> but it. I just I don't run. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so you know, it's it's funny. Belo- belonging it can mean like so many different things, right? And and it was funny when we first thought of this idea for this discussion. Um, you know, it, it clearly we're tapping into emotion, right? And 
you know, business typically in the business environment, you don't tap into emotion. You know, it's about productivity. It's about strategy, you know, but in, in all of the great work and, and research that we've been able to do at New, the number one reason why women end up leaving is because they don't feel like they belong. End of the day, period. And, um, and, and many other phenomenal studies and pieces of research done both by Tamara and Amelia, and they're going to share, you know, their, their perspectives and findings. But um, Tamara, you've got a great framework that you use, the three A's. Can you share that? Because I think that helps, you know, really um, point out, okay, here's what you need to be thinking about. It's hard to define, well, do I belong or not? Yeah. I love that framework. So I- Thank you. And I, and I love that you talked about emotions, right? Because I've I've heard often belonging referred to as the emotional aspect of inclusion. Inclusion are the actions people take and belonging is how we feel when we are included. Um, and actually research shows that most of the strongest emotions we experience are tied to belonging or not belonging. So belonging makes us feel appreciated, accepted, makes us feel joy, right? And when we don't belong, we feel rejected, excluded. And when you ask people in research to to recall a painful experience, most of the time that experience is one of rejection, of not yeah. belonging. Um, and so the way that I that I define belonging in my research and came up with then the three A's is the the seminal paper by Baumeister and Leary in 1995, um, where they uh, published this paper in psychology, looked at many fields, anthropology, sociology, subfields of psychology, and they really found that you know, belonging is a, uh, a basic human need. We all know from, from Maslow's pyramid, right? Belonging is there as, as a need. So belonging is a basic human need. And the way they define it is that belonging is about feeling loved and valued by others, but also having frequent pleasant interactions with others, mm-hmm. right? And so that's, that's belonging. And then I created this framework, the three A's of belonging, to think about how leaders can intentionally build belonging into their organizations because people are starving for genuine connections. Now, what you just said in your research at New about people leaving because they feel like they don't belong, that is one of the main reasons for the great resignation right now, right? right. People are leaving because they don't feel like they belong. But leaders can be the designers of belonging. They can create these systems where people belong. And so the way that I that I found to help yeah. leaders do that was to create this framework of the three A's, which um, are alignment. So having uh, alignment of purpose and values, knowing how your values and what you value contributes to the organization and that your values are aligned with the organization's values, but also knowing the why behind your work and what goal are you all working towards? Because when we are together working towards something that's bigger than ourselves, it creates this automatic sense of belonging, right? So that's the first A. The second A is appreciation. We all want to feel like a valued member of the community. And we want to be appreciated for who we are, not just recognized for our contributions, right? We do want to be recognized for our contributions too, but we more than that want to really be appreciated and valued for who we are. And so that's the second A. And then the third A 
is the word amity, which means friendship, which is what most people think of belonging, like this sense of being connected to each other. And so this is about leaders designing for relationship building, not only you know between them and their team members and within their teams, but also across the organization. We find in our research that the organizations that have the, the highest sense of belonging are organizations that foster that across the whole organization. So that's, that's the three A's. I love it. Amelia, you, you have some great stats that are, are built into your book and, and I, you know, and love versus worth. And I particularly love too, that you, you chose that term love, but you had shared with us um, in one of our earlier discussions that nine out of 10 people feel it's important to feel worthy. And I'd, I'd love to have you share those stats with the audience because they were really compelling to me as to, okay, well, why, why do you need to worry about how people, and I'm putting my fingers up in the air, feel, right? Right, right. No, absolutely. So I, um, I wrote this book about the human experience and I felt like I had to both personally show up as, as vulnerable and as human, but um, I am equal parts head and heart, and I um, I know this this audience uh, is as well. When you think about, uh, we run businesses, we have teams, we have to lead, but we're also fully human. And so I conducted some research uh, with about six thousand uh, people in the U.S. across all different types of work, all different identities, all different um, demographics. And as you said, one of the most surprising things that we learned was that it matters to nine out of 10 of us to feel worthy, but that about half, and this is where I say myself included, struggle at times to feel worthy. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And the thing that was also interesting is it didn't actually vary statistically in any statistically significant way for men or women, uh, for different ages, uh, for different identities. It was something that was actually quite um, held in common across um, identities. Um, but then what was interesting was what do we do to help close that, 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 that gap? And, and, and tomorrow, I love your very practical approach that you can kind of give to leaders on the three A's. For me, I, I, I explored the uh, approach of what we can do for ourselves um, as, as individuals. It's the idea that we live inside our heads. Yeah. We often trust the sound of our own voice because we're most familiar with it. And at the end of the day, um, we are, we, uh, spend a lot of time alone with ourselves in a room. So what can we do to, um, give ourselves that feeling of love and worth? What can we do to show that to another, um, as a leader, as a mentor, as a sponsor? Um, and then finally, what can we do to kind of grow that in the communities of work that we are a part of? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you'd also shared, um, this was like, so interesting to me, the stats about, um, likely to be spoken over, right? Like, you know, the, the way you're treated and, you know, in, in, in any given, you know, zoom meeting or any given, you know, conference call or, you know, the tone that's used in email, right? Like those simple, interactions can really make or break that feeling of worthiness or appreciation, but share those stats. Cause those were pretty darn fascinating to me. Yeah, no, I, I would be happy to. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is we probably all heard uh, the term microaggressions, right? Where it's yeah. not necessarily the big in your face, obvious ways in which someone is not included or doesn't is made to not feel like they belong. It's the tiny little way in which um, the just sort of, uh, you know, at some point you just start to kind of, 
um, not even notice, right? Because like, it's just so, uh, so frequent. And one of the things I think about is how do we flip those microaggressions into microaffirmations? And one of the biggest ways um, is just acknowledging that um, typically in the workplace, um, people who are younger, so 18 to 24, will say that um, they are very often uh, spoken over in meetings. Doesn't actually vary that much for men and women. Again, you should expect it. You're sort of younger. You might you know, feel like your voice doesn't matter or isn't heard. The thing that did uh, sort of stand out to me from the, um, from the research was that that number drops for men at around age 35. Um, their, their likelihood to feel like they're spoken over in a meeting. Um, for women, that, that, does, that same drop doesn't happen until age 55. Uh, so I still wow. look forward to it. <laughs> um, but it would just made me more yeah. aware that... It's a, it's a real thing. Um, you could say it's a, it's a microaggression, but there's ways in which now that we can be more aware of it, mm-hmm. we can demonstrate to others that they are worthy um, because their voice matters and we will listen to them. Can I jump in? I, I love, I love microaffirmations. I love like flipping the that script too. and that is so powerful. And I also love your model of like starting with yourself and then building out because I think mm-hmm. it just gives it gives people agency over their experience, right? To start with like your own self-talk of, of worthiness, but, um, but micro affirmations, I, I really like that. And I, I have a question to you um, in your book, which I cannot wait to read. Do you recommend doing that for yourself or also for others? Like what is the path there? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I will I will tell you that the idea of a micro affirmation um, I've had since I wrote my book. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, as a, as a fellow author, you'll know that at some point you think any idea you've had is in your book, um, and then the ink dries. You're like, oh wait, I have more ideas. Um, Second book, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I hear it coming. Um, but no, I think. Um, but to the spirit of your question. Um, I absolutely do think that learning how we talk to ourselves is one of the most yeah. important things we can do. And it's not to say we put the burden right on on the individuals, but but that how we reframe um, events, how we give ourselves grace, how we speak to ourselves with kindness, and maybe after the break we can talk about some of those different ways in which we can um, speak with kindness, uh, use words of love uh, for ourselves and with the others that we work with um, to help them feel like they belong. Yeah. I mean, what both of you are saying about belonging um, is is right in line with where I landed when I was preparing for the show, which was, you know, the the sum. I, you know, I have all these various sort of like pillars and a little framework, but at the end of the day, like you just know it when you feel it, and you know it when you don't. Mm-hmm. It's like um, yeah. it's an instinctive. Your your gut is telling you. Um, you're, you're hearing it in your gut and it is, it's an emotional experience more than a quantitative one, which is, I think why Sarah, to your point, um, from earlier, why it's, it's difficult for in the business environment to, for us to sort of like talk about it and make change around it, because how do you quantify feelings? Right. Um, I think that that's challenging for a lot of, for a lot of folks in the, in, um, you know, in our universe. (laughs) Well, and it's, but it's so hard, right? Like you you have to have self-awareness, right? You can't be completely oblivious of what everybody else, you know, says or does or how they make you feel. Um, But, you know, it, it, but at at the same time, it's like, you know, 99% of the time when you have a bad reaction with someone, 
because they're a bit prickly. It has nothing to do with you, right? So it's like you, at some point you have to learn how to draw energy and affirmation, you know, by yourself. But yeah, no, we're, we are going to, we are going to take a quick break, but I promise everybody listening, we're going to shift into that. Okay. You know, as an individual, what can you do to make sure that you are setting yourself up to feel as if you belong. And then more importantly, what leaders and organizations can do. And Kelly, I want to get more into, you know, your personal experience too at Visa and what they've done, because they clearly practice what we preach. So we're going to take that quick break. I want to thank everybody who's been listening in to our Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. You can always check us out at newonline.org for more information on new and all of our podcasts. We will be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Network of Executive Women is a nonprofit dedicated to advancing all women and transforming our workplaces through the power of community. We are a growing community of more than 13,500 professional women and men, representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. We are a strong, collective voice for everyone in the corporate world who wants to see gender equality become a reality, and we welcome all who champion our cause. Members of NEW gain access to a broad network of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development. Corporate organizations also gain access to DEI Solutions, which fosters a more inclusive and productive work culture. Plus, members can engage across NEW's 22 regional communities and attend two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and leadership. Join Network of Executive Women today. Visit newonline.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member of NEW. That's newonline.org slash membership. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Network of Executive Women? Visit our website today at newonline.org. That's newonline.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. Well, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Sarah Alter in the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. And I am joined today by an absolutely incredible lineup. Tamara Miles, author, speaker, researcher, and positive psychology instructor at University of Pennsylvania. Amelia Dunlop, Chief Experience Officer for Deloitte Digital and U.S. Customer Strategy and Applied Design Leader and author. And Kelly Crowley, user experience researcher, and she is the evangelist for the Visa Accessibility Team, and she is a para-Olympian. And we are talking about how do you create a culture in your workplace of belonging? So, Amelia, 
let's loop back to you. You had some great thoughts. Like how can you, how can you motivate yourself? Like if you're not getting the feedback or you're not feeling the energy or the affirmation from others, how do you go about motivating yourself then? Yeah. I would say I absolutely believe that we can and should expect more of our workplaces, right? We should can't we should expect to feel like we belong. We should. We should, um, absolutely. And and I think there's things that we can do for ourselves, uh, whether or not we're we're getting that affirmation externally. Um, and one of the things I like to think about is that uh, you know you have elevated the human experience, your own or someone else's, because your heart feels full when you're done. Right. You just yeah. kind of, it goes back yeah. to tell you to what you were saying before the break that you just feel it, right? You don't need to kind of intellectually explain what happened. You don't need the numbers to prove it. You do feel it. Um, and that's why I feel like it's very much head and heart. But I will tell you one of the things that um, was very powerful for me on this, on this journey was how to learning how to love myself, um, even in the context of work. And so mm-hmm. I'll tell you a story about that. Um, I had just received some very challenging feedback, uh, and I think I'm not alone. And that we all, if you work, if you work long enough, uh, you will hear some feedback. Um, and in this case, um, I had I had been told by a older male uh, but peer that I was haughty and uh, was not deferential enough. And um, it was it was very challenging. And I think for me, it was I felt like I was walking around with the, you know the big letter H on my forehead, right? That that was uh, you know sort of my identity yeah. and. And I spent some time um, processing it with a good friend of mine and who's, who's a coach. And she helped me reframe that sort of feedback from, from this individual really to think about what it meant for me to um, grow in relationship and to learn how to be more vulnerable. And I thought like the idea of being more vulnerable was probably just crazy, right? In, in that sense, I had already, I was already feeling really hurt and kind of bruised yeah. by the feedback. Yeah. But it was it was through her kind of you know, her coaching and her um, kind of persistence that she really taught me about what it meant to show up with equal parts head and heart, and she gave me the little exercise which I wanted to share um, with uh, our listeners here today, which is she asked me to write down the thirty reasons why I am lovable. And the problem with that is if you don't feel like you're lovable to begin with, it's incredibly hard. <laughs> and at first I said to her, like, well, can I get my daughter who was like, who was like eight years old at the time? <laughs> can she do that for me? <laughs> like, no, you can't have your daughter do it. Um, you, and, and it was actually hard for me to, to, um, to kind of write my list. I'm looking at my phone because the list does sit on my phone, but um, oh, I, I it, you it, kept it. it. Yeah, I did. And it, my list starts with, I am lovable because I have a warm smile. And so you one do. of the things I do encourage yeah. people to do is to, to start to think about and go ahead and write down what are the reasons why you are lovable. And one of the things I, I often notice is when people start to, sh- to write them down and to share them, a lot of the reasons we think that we're lovable are because we're caring to others, right? We're good parents or yeah. we're a good colleague. And then you start to do like, wait a second, you're lovable before you do anything for anybody else before you're a good colleague or you're a good parent. Yeah. And it just takes a moment to remind ourselves of that. So that for me has been a big thing in that first path of learning what it means to, um, to love myself. Yes, we're right. We're socialized to think yeah. that I 
I am lovable because I of some value that I provide to other right. people, right? Which separates you from your inherent worth. And you know, for the for the disability community, that's a very real conversation in the context of work, right? Or even society, right? Because we we are told, well, you're not as valuable because you're not as you know, productive is the argument. Um, and there are strong arguments that that is just false, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and there is no reason. In fact, there is some research that shows that companies that have um, more um, diversity in terms of disability are actually more innovative. They have higher mm-hmm. revenue. They have um, higher margins. So, you know, that's not the message that we get every day when we step out into the world, right? And so, um, you know, it becomes a skill that you that you have to develop. None of us are born with that skill of, like you're saying, Amelia, of like, you have to sit down and consciously like make your list and then you have to keep it handy. And the more times that you exercise that and you practice thinking at, the more automatic it becomes in a moment when you need it, right? Yeah, and it's like, I, uh, I hate that you heard that. Um, I see it as you have poise and you have confidence and, and it, and it feels like in that situation or in any of these situations of discomfort, it's more about the person who's saying it than it is about you. Right. And, and to your point, Kelly, they fail to see your uniqueness as a strength as, and as an asset. Um, Kelly, tell us about Visa, because they clearly, oh my gosh, one of our favorite partners, Deloitte, another equally favorite partner, practice what we preach, but tell us what what Visa has done, you know, from all of your incredible efforts in being the evangelist for the accessibility team. Well, like I said, I think, you know, that sense of like belonging, you either you either feel it or you don't. And um, yeah. I will say that from the minute I, I, came, I went into... Uh, you know, going to corporate America was a huge mental adjustment for me because I, it was just never a thing that I ever imagined for my life until I was stepping into orientation with a bunch of the um, highest performing 22 year olds you've ever met in your life. And I was old enough to be their mother, literally. And so I was honestly, I know that feeling. They don't believe me, but I was super intimidated. And I totally thought I'm not I'm going to feel like I don't belong. And from day one, I was like, wow, I totally belong here. Um, and, and that hasn't changed. And it's, it's the most rewarding place I've ever worked. And, you know, I think I, a lot of that comes from, um, like you were saying, um, Amelia, the uh, micro interactions that I have, that I have with people, um, you know, like, all day long, there's, and part of it is the nature of the program that I entered Visa through, which is the Olympian Paralympian Business Development yeah. Program, right? Which gives us opportunities to really network. And, you know, so we spend, I spent two years, I took advantage of it, and I spent two years like working in four different parts of the company and developing relationships with people that, you know, when I'm having a hard day, I, I'll, I'll like, message somebody who I really connected with and send them a silly gif and say, Hey, how are you doing? What's up today? You know? Um, and those that it might be a 10 minute little back and forth and it's restorative. And I feel, I feel like I belong um, and that I have a community. So I, you know, I, I've had a great positive experience and it's, it's in, um, you know, I was a woman working in the, in the sport world um, prior 
prior to coming to Visa. And you can look at the numbers. There are not very many women who coach um, ever since since Title IX um, passed. The number of women coaches has declined precipitously. And we could, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um. <laughs> Actually, I was just thinking that. So let's park that and you and I'll be back on that one. But yeah, keep going. Yeah. But a lot of that comes from, comes from, um, you know, some, some bias and systems and, and, you know, not necessarily feeling like, like, we belong and that we're accepted for who we are because, um, you know, especially like I was in a position one time where I was, you know, coaching, a, coaching a boys team, middle school boys team. And, um, that their concept is not girl with funny arm is going to, is going to coach my basketball team was just never a thing that has that ever even probably entered their imaginations. And we were both grappling with that strange situation that we never imagined we would be in together. Right. So, um, not it's not to say it was it was actually one of my favorite experiences um in coaching because it was it challenged my coaching skills um so you know belonging comes in all different yeah. all different shapes and and it's not also i think what that taught me was it's not a permanent state mm-hmm. and that um it's definitely something that your mental skills and relationships and communication can can transform. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. Your story, Kelly, if I can jump in here, because you know, when you were talking about like, you weren't sure if you're going to belong and, you know, people were younger than you. And it was reminding me of the story that I shared at the opening, you know, of the show about fearing not belonging. It's even like before we even have the experience, we're already like so scared that we're not going to. And, you know, our self-talk is like going crazy with like, I'm not going to belong because I'm not, you know, young enough or smart enough or whatever. Um, and, And then it goes back to what Amelia said about like the almost like the micro affirmations, but your list of like 30 reasons why I'm lovable. When you were talking about that, it made me think of, um, you know, just keeping a gratitude journal, for example, or random acts of kindness, all these interventions that are so studied in positive psychology and how that over time rewires our brain because we do have a negativity bias, right? We're wired to look for the bad because for survival, we needed to notice the bad so that we could survive. And so if we were noticing the beautiful rainbows and flowers, we would get eaten by, by a lion. And so right. um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the so with gratitude, and if we have a gratitude, gratitude practice over time, we really start noticing the good and what others do for us and the beauty in the world. And over time, it rewires our brain. And I wonder if something like that, the micro affirmations or putting together that list and really being intentional about, you start noticing every day, like I am lovable. Oh, look at what I did. I am lovable because of this. And you start noting, maybe it rewires our brain too over time. Tamara, you made a great point in our earlier discussion the other day though, that like, okay, if Odds are high that, you know, if you're not feeling like you belong, there are others as well. And how do you then, I loved your recommendation and shared that with the audience. Like you, you, you join a coalition then of the willing, you know, and those who want to make change happen so that people feel like they do belong. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a leader, if you're feeling that, right? If you're feeling like you don't belong, it's really likely that there are others as well. And the best way I think to, to 
start creating belonging and designing belonging into the system is to start these conversations. I think in the opening, you talked about the article talking about um, this outward illusion versus like going under the tip of the iceberg. And I think, you know, maybe starting these vulnerable conversations about just saying, you know, I'm feeling a little disconnected. I'm not sure if anybody else is feeling that, or, you know, if you don't want to go that far, but just starting um, practices that intentionally make other people feel like they belong. Because I think Kelly, your example of whenever you're not feeling like you, you don't belong and, and you reach out to somebody you connected with, I mean, that's like a shiny example of what resilient people do, right? They yeah. reach out to connect. And so you take agency over your connection. So as a leader, you can do that. You can intentionally reach out to others and even express gratitude for them and appreciation for something really specific, not just like, hey, great job. But like, oh, I really loved how you mm-hmm. wove in that concept into your rapport. It was it made it shine and it connected the da-da or the, how you told this story and getting like really specific on a feedback and making a point to reach out to people on your team, doing that. That that is a great way to to start creating a culture of belonging. And it has a ripple effect, right? I'm sure you've all received some feedback, positive feedback that was really specific. And think back about how wonderful that feels. Yeah, it totally does. Oh, go ahead, Kelly. We've talked a lot about sort of, you know, what what individuals can do in situations to either like be resilient or to set this culture of belonging. Um, But I also kind of want to maybe shift the topic a little bit to talk about the fact that like, there are some like environmental institutional yeah. things that are sort yeah. of prerequisites Absolutely. to belonging, you know, like representation um, for Paralympians, you know, like I, we, I never grew up thinking, knowing that I could be a professional athlete because I never saw anyone like me until I was 24. Like I thought I was the, until I was 24, I thought I was the only person on planet earth with a funny little arm. Like that doesn't make any sense, but that's what I thought because that was my lived experience. Right. So, you know, being able to, for, you know, all of us, like see someone like us succeeding totally. is really important. So visibility representation matters, language, you know, with language matters, um, you know, and, and from the, in, in my role with the accessibility team, you know, um, knowing that your needs are being anticipated if you're somebody with a disability is really important so that you don't always have to ask for the thing. It just is there. There are the obstacles aren't there. So you don't have to ask for permission to enter the bank or the building or whatever, right? It's just easy. You can do it yourself. So I think all of those, all of those pieces are important parts of belonging yeah. that leaders can start to transform for their teams and their, you know, organizations. Yeah, no, I love that you said that because it's, it's shifting the responsibility and the burden away from the individual to mm-hmm. the leader and then to the system. Right. And, mm-hmm. and um, so I talked about what we can do as individuals. And I think tomorrow, I love your examples of what we can do as leaders to kind of be better allies and show up and mirror the worthiness back to another um, but I do think we should talk about what does it mean to change the system, right? Because yeah. there are obstacles yeah. and you're absolutely right that the burden is not only on the individual. Um, and I, I like to say somewhat provocatively that it's not our responsibility to lean into the system. It's our responsibility to dismantle it and redesign it in a way. I love that. <laughs> yes. I love that, Amelia. You are spot on. <laughs> right. I mean, like, yeah. let's, yeah. let's go, um, let's go break some glass. Let's go figure out what we're going to do to actually absolutely. change the system. And I do think it, it means 
we have to find kind of like-minded individuals who are, who are willing to kind of go on that journey as well. Yeah. Now I think about um, Hershey is one of our great partners as well. And they've been um, incredibly committed to and successful in diversifying their organization. Michelle Buck, their CEO is just fabulous. Um, But in bringing that diversity into their community, particularly their HQ community, they've realized that, you know, there may not be restaurants or salons or experiences that all of these different, you know, diverse leaders are looking for so that they feel like they belong. And so their HR team has gone out of their way to once somebody joins the team and moves to the area, they and their family are welcomed in and they are introduced to, uh, you know, if you had a a black family, for example, um, Hey, there's this great salon, you know, that does beautiful work, you know, on the type of hair that you may have, or, you know, you've got someone that, you know, may have um, an ethnic preference for food and they don't make assumptions or have biases, but they just try and make these resources available because it's all about making them feel like they belong. And um, I, I love, I love that they do that. What are some of the other best practices though, that organizations can do then? Beyond I love your like example that. of like when somebody starts, because that's something that came up so much on our research, which is this idea of treating onboarding, the onboarding when somebody starts as a really mm-hmm. You know, some of the the um, leaders that we interviewed, they talked about it as a sacred moment, a ritualized experience. There's so many missed opportunities. I was reading an article today about why the the young people that are just starting to work and started work yeah. in the pandemic, they're struggling and yeah. they get onboarded by just go. And, and there's no like, yeah. it's such a missed opportunity to make people feel like they belong, to create these relationships and these connections and to show them what the purpose is and connect the work that they do to the purpose of the organization so that they know why and how what they do matters. Um, something else that I love is having some rituals and meetings. So the, the chief human resources officer at PayPal has a, a rule that is nobody speaks twice in a meeting until everybody speaks once, right? Oh, and so that's that good. it's inviting participation that creates psychological safety that lets people know that they, they are expected to speak. But like little like things like that, when you, when you can ritualize these little micro moments in meetings and onboardings, it, it all really matters. I talk about it as intentional inclusion. A lot of the exclusion happens by accident, but we are really thoughtful and intentional about including people. It's the little things make all the difference. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Yeah. Conscious inclusion, right? Right. There was that unconscious bias and now there's conscious inclusion. Amelia, your thoughts, what other recommendations would you have for organizations? I guess one of the things that I think a lot about, and I've learned a lot about personally is the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. Yeah. And oh yeah. We haven't talked about that yet, but so I'll introduce it just to say that I used to think that I was that as a you know relatively senior woman in, in our own organization, that I was a good mentor to, to colleagues and, and a good friend. But I realized that I wasn't doing enough to serve as a sponsor. And it was when I started to realize that sponsorship is much more active, right? So a mentor might offer coaching, good words, like cheer you on, you know, listen to you. 
but that it's really the sponsors who use their power, whether it's personal or yeah, um, or yeah. or positional power. Um, and it, you can be at you know at any level of the organization to serve as a sponsor to actively remove obstacles um, from on someone else's behalf. And it can be as simple as you know identifying that you know there's chairs around a table and chairs fill up. And someone else comes in late and there's no chair, like a tiny little way in which you kind of, you notice that that other person's going to have to sit like not at the table at the kind of the back row. Um, And I, I, you know, it goes back to a micro affirmation, but using whatever power you have to, um, you know, throw someone else's hat in the ring to advocate on their behalf when they're not in the room. These are some of the things that I've started to be more aware of is that there's a difference between being a mentor and a sponsor. And it's almost like being an activist on behalf of that individual. Yeah, no, and and surprisingly, I I hear quite often that there are a number of organizations out there that do not have a structured mentor or sponsorship program or approach. And there's pros and cons, and that's a whole nother discussion, right, that we could talk about. But you're right, it's it's a clear way in which you can go about making somebody feel like, hey, I do belong. And not only do I belong, but I'm appreciated and I'm a, I'm valued. Um, yeah, no, I love that. Um, Kelly, how about visa? I'm sure there's like 18 other things they've been doing. Sure. Well, you know, I think, um, our, our employee resource groups are, are really critical. Um, and you know, and, and that's widely recognized by, if you go to, again, like my lens through all this is disability, but it applies to any underrepresented group, you know, disability in um, will, you know, says that like employee resource groups are, are, a, are a best practice for um, disability inclusion, you know, as is mentorship. So if um, people are comfortable dis- self-disclosing um, when they join the company, they, you know, can have a, they may get paired with a mentor or a sponsor <laughs> to Amelia's point, even better, right? Um, to help them navigate whatever systems um, are there is really, is critical to people's success, sense of belonging, um, security, especially if, um, you know, you're used to being in an environment where you aren't accepted and you have to be very careful about who you talk to and what you say and all of these things, which a lot of us have, are trained, yeah. have trained ourselves yeah. to do, right? Um, that we we may not speak up. And, um, you know, that's, that's actually not good for the business because it's hurting our productivity if we're spending our days mm-hmm. stressed mm-hmm. out and, and uncertain and not saying valuable things when they might actually be really, really useful for the company. Um, and we just don't know that it's a safe space because we've been in so few safe spaces, right? So um, having having a like a pilot fish, if you will, if you're somebody in an under, underrepresented group to help guide you through those safe spaces yeah. is really, really important. Um, and the ERGs can be a really great tool for that. Yeah. All righty. Well, for those of you listening, I hope you're convinced that this is just not touchy-feely stuff. This is business and this is mission critical, you know, for your organization. If you have any hope, you know, to attract the top talent, um, to fully leverage that top talent and keep that top talent, you've got to make sure that you create a culture where people feel like they belong. Um, Thank you so much, Tamara and Amelia and Kelly for joining us today. Um, I know everybody's walking away enlightened and ready to take action. 
And I also want to thank everybody who has been listening in today. I want to thank Voice America for giving me and me the opportunity to share our, our voices and our mission and our stories with all of you. So join us next week. And this is going to be an interesting conversation. We're going to discuss the pivotal role that women are playing in the coffee industry. Are you guys all coffee drinkers? Coffee, tea? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Totally Um, addicted. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Nestle, Starbucks, and then one of my dear friends who is an entrepreneur and has launched a couple of coffee shops here in the Chicago market are all going to talk about the key role that women are playing in this industry. So to learn more about New and listen to all of our podcasts, check us out at newonline.org. Huge favor before you leave us. We would love your thoughts on the types of topics you would love to hear. And if you would love to sponsor our show, please reach out to me at inspire at newonline.org. I'm Sarah Alter, and thank you so very much for listening. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Be sure to tune in again next week. Our program is live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Until we talk again, enjoy your week. 